Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. Jay Zawoski with you here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Locked On Blackhawks. I hope you did your homework assignment and watched Nashville Game 5 from 2010. What an awesome game to relive. I watched it on Tuesday afternoon and wanted to jump on the podcast as soon as it was over, just like I do when I do my nightly podcast during the regular season when hockey's actually going on, when we're not living in bizarro world. Ugh. Anyway. Hope you enjoyed watching it. We're going to talk about it. There is a little bit of news I want to get to first. We also got some email feedback from people watching the game. So I'm going to share that as well. Obviously, here's how you get in touch with us. We always do this first. Voicemail, 708-653-0572. Email, LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. Twitter is at LO underscore Blackhawks. My personal account at jzawoski 670 and the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast at Madhouse Pod. Before we get to the reaction of Game 5, a little bit of news from Tuesday. Our friend Charlie Romeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago had Rocky Wirtz on his Blackhawks Talk podcast, and Rocky had some thoughts about the leadership of the Blackhawks, uh, namely John McDonough and Stan Bowman. Here's a quote from Rocky Wirtz. You look at everything, Wirtz said. You're looking at salaries, you're looking at free agents, you're looking at signing college players, free agents in Europe. The nice thing is John McDonough and his crew and Stan Bowman, in my humble opinion, we have a good organization. They'll figure it out on my epitaph and on my tombstone with my kids. I promise you it's going to say just figure it out. It's going to be the day I was born, the day I died, and just figure it out. They will figure it out. I promise you. Now, that is a little bit less than a vote of confidence for sure. It's not that him saying Stan Bowman will absolutely be back, but... The evidence is piling up here that it doesn't seem like Stan Bowman is on any sort of hot seat whatsoever. Under the table, signed an extension last summer. Every time he's asked about it, he says no comment. Okay. No comment is basically saying yes in my eyes and in the eyes of everybody else. So, okay. Uh, another playoffs missed. A bunch of trades and free agent signings that didn't work out. And it looks like Stan Bowman's going to be back. Out of the mouth of Rocky Wirtz. And look, you know, now is not the time with everything going on to really go off on what happened. How, you know, the per, right now we're looking at the this whole thing in perspective. Like, what, what are the importance of sports? And right now... They're very low on the important scale, right? I know we all miss them. I know we all wish they were back. But truly, we're learning right now how unimportant sports are. And so it's not necessarily the time for Rocky Words to say, you know, well, you know, we expect more and we should get more, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. Just the tone of it sounds like, and you can go listen to the podcast for yourself, so you can hear it yourself. I didn't want to play the audio without permission. It's their audio. They own it. Go back and listen and hear it for yourself. To me, it sounded like a little bit less than a vote of confidence, which is not really what Hawks fans want to hear. 
right now or really ever when it comes to Stan Bowman. I think we all sort of agree that it would make sense for him to probably move on, right? But even if they're going to keep him, even if Rocky Wirtz is going to keep him and give him another year or whatever to figure this thing out, just sort of the blind optimism of, oh, yeah, you know, they're going to get it. They'll figure it out. They know what they're doing. Do they? Do they? I mean, for a long time, and people who listen to the Madhouse podcast and who have read my stuff on the score will remember, I was a longtime Stan Bowman defender, and with good reason. For most of his tenure as Hawks GM, he was a damn good GM. Good results. Got things done. Yeah, there were some painful trades made, but a lot of those came with a caveat of salary cap dump, salary cap situation. So it wasn't always just like, oh, he just made a bad trade or he poorly evaluated talent. It was the Hawks are in cap hell and he's got to get out of it and it's going to cost him someone you like. But I pinpoint that Brent Seabrook contract. We've talked about this a ton, so I'm not saying anything new here. But the, the day that Brent Seabrook extension was signed, a few months after the Hawks won the Cup in 2015, it's really been downhill for Stan Bowman since then. So maybe Rocky Wirtz is just saying what he feels like he needs to say right now. Just like Bears GM Ryan Pace says, oh yeah, we have full faith in Mitch Trubisky, he's our guy, and all we hear about the last three days is all the quarterbacks the Bears are trying to get, right? So maybe you're just being diplomatic, saying what you need to say in the moment, and moving on, but we've got to go by what he said, right? And what he said was he thinks Stan Bowman is going to figure it out. And that doesn't sound to me like someone whose job is on the line or whose job is in question. So make of it what you will, but I just thought it was sort of an interesting thing to say. Um, but go listen to the podcast yourself. It's a Blackhawks Talk podcast. Our buddy Charlie Romeliotis is on there. Go to his Twitter feed and find it. And if you're a listener... And if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Lockdown to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Lockdown Blackhawks is a great way for your local businesses to reach passionate Hawks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Lockdown gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Hawks fans and a predominantly male audience that's well-educated, with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the keyword advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for joining me here. Uh, again, this weird situation, we're working ourselves through it. So I figured let's go back, let's watch a classic Hawks game from the 2010 Stanley Cup run. So we watched Nashville game five. And you would think, well, why wouldn't you pick a game that won a series for the Hawks? Why would you pick a game five 
when the Hawks won the series in six games? It's a good question. The game itself was epic. And I'll recap it quickly in case you didn't have a chance to go back and watch. Hawks got out to a 3-1 lead. David Legg wants to open the scoring for Nashville in the first period, 6-23 in. Then Andrew Ladd and Nicholas Jomerson score in the first, giving the Hawks a 2-1 lead. Then it's Thomas Kopetsky out of the penalty box off a too-many-men penalty. Breakaway goal. Deeks, Pecorine out of his shorts and tucks the backhander past him. Then, so the Hawks are up 3-1. Late in the second, Patrick Kane makes a blind pass to center ice, springing Nashville the other way. Joel Ward scores shorthanded. It's 3-2 with just under three minutes left in the second. A minute and a half into the third, Martin Erat scores. Then, 10 minutes later, Erat scores again. It's 4-3 Nashville. Okay? Then, with 103 left in the game, Hawks down 4-3. Marion Hosa takes a boarding major penalty. He's in the box. Hawks are on the penalty kill. And hope is pretty much lost at this point. Hawks get the puck, head in the offensive zone. Scramble in front. Patrick Kane with 14 seconds left in the third period, ties the game. Overtime begins. Nashville's getting a bunch of scoring chances, as are the Blackhawks, actually. John Madden almost made a scoring chance early, then late in that penalty kill. He got a chance right in front where he just put it wider than that. John Madden, I'll talk about him in a little bit. What an awesome pickup for the Hawks he was that year. But then, right as the penalty expires, the Hawks have the puck in the offensive zone. Marion Hosa goes from the penalty box to the front of the net. Brent Sopel puts a point shot on net. Then this happened. Bowling back, Sopel a drive, skipped in front, score! Hey! It was that moment when I felt for the first time the Blackhawks were really going to win the Stanley Cup. It was a tie series. It hadn't gone the way the Hawks thought it would go. They weren't having their offensive way with the Predators, the way that a lot of people expected the series to go. They're down 4-3. Hosa takes that boarding penalty, and it's like, oh, my God, they're going to be down three games to two, headed back to Nashville. They're not playing well. There's no chance they win this series. Patrick Kane scores. Marion Hosa scores. And it was in that moment where I said, this team is not going to lose this year. There, years later, Ken Hitchcock, the coach of the St. Louis Blues, talked about the Blackhawks and he used the word resolve. You can never count them out because of their resolve. And that was evident as early as 2010. And as early as that quarterfinal series against Nashville, where the Hawks just did not give up, would not give up, and fought that whole game. Here's another thing that stood out to me about that team. We've talked about their depth. We've talked about their star power. That team had a damn swagger about it. They were better than you, and they knew it. 
and the attitude that the Hawks played with from, you know, prime Brent Seabrook, absolutely destroying Martin Erad on a hit. Seabrook had the puck this early in the game. This is a first period, I think. Seabrook has the puck, advances it out of the zone, and Erad has a clear shot at Seabrook. Seabrook just puts his shoulders down. Erat's full body goes completely horizontal, smashes into the boards and falls. His helmet goes flying. That was emblematic of that Blackhawks team, as was Marion Hosa's dominance. Just toying with people. One hand on the stick, the other hand fending the defenders off. You had guys like Adam Burrish on that team who weren't the most skilled people in the world, but they were brash, they were cocky. You had Dave Boland getting in people's faces all the time. Jonathan Taves, absolutely relentless. Relentless. That's when Jonathan Taves hadn't won three cups. And I don't mean this as a knock, but you win a championship three times, and that fire that drives you to win the first one or the second one goes away. You've already accomplished everything there is to accomplish. Watching Jonathan Taves compete in that game was unbelievable. He never lost a battle. Sometimes he'd lose the puck, but he would never get outworked. Here's one observation I have, too. Patrick Kane is a much better player now than he was in 2010. He's smarter. He picks his spots better. He's a better two-way player. He might be the one guy of this group that you can say right now is playing the best hockey of his career and doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Kane was great in this game and in the 2010 playoffs. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, scored the tying goal in Game 5, scored the game-winning goal of the Stanley Cup Final in Game 6 in Philly, and numerous incredible memories from Patrick Kane over the years. But the player I see now on a shift-to-shift basis is better than the one that was on the ice for the Blackhawks in 2010. I believe that. I believe that all around. He's a better all-around player now than he was. More of a factor. Speaking of factors, I mentioned it a little bit. John Men brought in from the New Jersey Devils as a free agent, one-year deal, and looked at as sort of like, okay, this team is ready to win. They need someone on this team who's won before. And that is exactly what John Madden was. You look at his line from that game. 12.58 of ice time, two shots on goal, one shot missed. That was one in overtime. He won 75% of his faceoffs. He had a block shot and a takeaway. But he was everywhere he needed to be on the ice in that game. He was absolutely unbelievable. Five minutes and 32 seconds shorthanded for John Madden. And it felt like the more the game went on, the better he played. Those little moves, those little things that were done, and the big things too, like Marion Hosa joining the team, obviously, and Thomas Kopetsky, who had a nice goal, is a better player than I remember. I'm trying to think, as I was watching the game, like who is today's Thomas Kopetsky? Who is a player like that? Big, not overly physical, not overly skilled, not fast, not slow, but somehow effective. 
And the only thing I can come up with even resembling that on the Hawks would be Dylan Strom. But I think Strom has a lot more skill than Kapetsky. And it puts up better, bigger numbers than Kapetsky. I don't know. If you can think of a modern NHL comp to Thomas Kapetsky, let me know. The other thing. Looking at this game in hindsight, without the judgment of Brian Campbell's contract and how much it costs the Blackhawks to have him, and I think sometimes we can look at those things as we evaluate a player. It's hard to forget about that stuff and get it out of your mind. Just like when, you know, a guy's acquired for a guy you really like, it's hard to look at that guy fairly and evenly. Everything's done behind the lens of the trade right, or the contract. Brian Campbell brought a lot to the Blackhawks when he was here. That offensive uh, swagger, that offensive confidence, and he was better defensively than he got credit for. That was an underrated signing in Hawks history. And it's weird because it was such a large deal that a lot of people sort of like, yeah, he's good, but is he worth it, right? And then as the cap problem started to happen, he started to become a problem more than he was a help. But he was like the first free agent win for the Blackhawks in as long as I can remember. That signing in 2009 was the, or before the 08-09 season rather, to me was like the signaling of the arrival of this team from a national perspective. The Hawks, throughout my life, had either pursued big-name free agents and lost out because they were too cheap or no one wanted to come play in a city that's games weren't on TV or whatever, or it was some guy who was way past his prime, Paul Coffey, Doug Gilmore, big names, way past their prime. Campbell was the guy that summer and the Hawks identified him and got him then the next summer they went and got Marion Hosa and Thomas Kapetsky and that aggressiveness was rewarded with the Stanley Cup their first since 1961 and their first of a decade where they would win three Just like we do after every Blackhawks game, it's time to go over the pluses and minuses from a game that happened nearly 10 years ago, April 24th, 2010. Let's start with the pluses. First plus for me goes to Marion Hosa, scoring the game-winning goal in overtime after a bad five-minute major boarding penalty as time was expiring. A lesser player would have hung his head. A lesser player would have let that moment define him throughout the series, maybe throughout the rest of his career. Instead, Marion Hosa rose to the occasion, took advantage of the opportunity, and scored one of the most memorable goals in Hawks history. A goal and assist, plus two. 17.56 of ice time, two shots on goal, three more shot attempts, two takeaways, a vintage Marion Hosa performance. He gets my first plus of the game. My second plus goes to, unsurprisingly, John Madden, who was a factor all night long, especially shorthanded, 
absolutely dominant at the faceoff dot, winning 75% of his faceoffs. Five minutes and 32 seconds shorthanded for John Madden. So many guys played well, but I want to give a special amount of credit too to the Blackhawks team in general. They allowed only 16 shots on goal in regulation to Nashville. 16. That's crazy. 21 total shots a game, five of those in overtime because the Preds were on the power play for like four minutes in overtime. That's unreal. And when we talk about what made that team, that group, so special, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the depth from top to bottom on the defensive core. Look at that defensive lineup. You know, Keith, Jalmerson, Sopel, Seabrook, Bufflin, Campbell. Four out of five of those guys are all-star type players. And Brent Sopel, who was picked up on a on a tryout before that season. He had been with the Red Wings in camp, actually, and then decided to join, to join the Hawks. Good choice. He was just what they needed. Not as much as John Madden was, you know, he wasn't as impactful as Madden was, but another veteran, respected guy who had been through hell, not hell, but who had been through a lot in his NHL career, who had seen it all. Those sort of additions to a stacked roster, that made the difference in the playoffs. I can't overstate how important guys like Madden and Sopel were to that group. And of course, Marion Hosa, who had been in the two prior Stanley Cup finals, first with Pittsburgh losing to Detroit, then with Detroit losing to Pittsburgh. Three years in a row, Hosa played in the Cup final, the third time he won it in 2010 with the Blackhawks. It was just such a uniquely assembled team you know a lot of homegrown talent of course but the Patrick Sharp trade which when it was made the Hawks weren't really on anyone's radar but it was like okay that was like a minor leaguer trade whatever one of the best trades in hockey history Patrick Sharp did not get on the score sheet that night he had eight shot attempts he used to go up and down the sheet some of these names Andrew Ladd goal Troy Brower was on the team. Brian Bickle, two shots, three hits. Christopher Stieg, Dustin Bufflin, Adam Burrish. These names are good players from top to bottom on the roster. And I talked about it yesterday when I was describing puck-moving defensemen. You had an entire roster of offensively skilled players that would also, aside from basically Patrick Kane, were willing to play a two-way game. And Kane was willing at times, but he was really the only one-dimensional forward on the entire roster. There were no, and I'm not piling on here, but it's true, there were no Alex Nylanders, right? There were no Alex Tabrinkits. Your Alex Tabrinkit was Patrick Kane. All these guys, top to bottom, were committed two-way forwards. I'll say the list again. Sharp, Madden, Ladd, Taves, Brower, Bickle, Versteeg, Boland, Burrish, Hosa, Kapetsky. That's why they allowed 16 shots on goal 
in regulation. 16 shots on goal in a playoff game that they needed overtime to win, oddly enough. Unbelievable. Real quick, got a couple emails I want to share here, but something very cool that's happening on the Lockdown Podcast Network as well. I know this is a time where uh, people are staying home to eat, but these local businesses need your support. So if you're new to Postmates, sign up, download the Postmates app, use code LOCKDOWNNBA, you'll get $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. So you can basically order food every day this week with no delivery fee. Jump on that. Support these restaurants. They need it now more than ever. Download the Postmates app and use promo code LOCKDOWNNBA. I believe that is for first-time Postmates users only. I'm not positive. You can try it. It can't hurt to try. But if you've been waiting to try a food delivery service, go to Postmates. Use that code locked on NBA. All right. Couple emails here regarding game five. Travis Barker says, Looking back, I wish I had not deleted Twitter to see all my hot takes. That would have been a good ten year challenge to see which which of my opinions aged like milk. Yeah, Travis, we're all there. I guarantee you that. What a game though. Looking at Quinville's numbers in the playoffs, I think he needed to win in twenty ten to save his job. I wonder what the general opinion was at the time. Entering that game, Quenville's record in the playoffs was 53-55. and 55. But it was his first year with a team as stacked as the Blackhawks. And the year before, he had gotten them to the Western Conference Finals, in many people's opinions, ahead of schedule. So I don't think his job was in danger at all. He was looked at as the guy who came in and changed the tone and changed the tenor of that team. So I don't think his job was ever in danger, but it, I did, I was surprised to see as that game was starting, they showed his playoff record, 53-55. and 55. You'd think he would have had a better record. But again, being over 500 in the playoffs, that's a good thing. If you do that every series, you win the Cup every year, right? I guess so. All right, uh, one more here from Kyle. He says, three takeaways from watching Hawks-Preds game five. That third line. I miss having a third line with that kind of talent and identity. If we can get Strom winning faceoffs, maybe we have the depth, the center depth to build a real third line again. Number two, damn, I miss Marion Hosa, the best two-way winger I've ever seen. He was the most important piece of our franchise for the last decade, no doubt in my mind. He was the central role model for our young stars. No Hosa, no dynasty. Interesting. I think maybe they win a cup without him, but certainly not three. Number three, 2010 Hawks were not an easy team to play against. Yes, they were fast and skilled, but they had plenty of battle on the ice. This is what I was talking about earlier. That team would knock our current roster on their asses. We need to get some of that grit in our game again. I'm not talking about gritty players, but a get-out-of-my-way, move-it-or-lose-it mentality. That team exerted their will on the ice. Absolutely correct. And you saw it. If you watch Nashville Game 5, you saw exactly, exactly what Kyle's talking about in that email. All right. Thanks for listening to this edition of Lockdown Blackhawks. Really, really appreciate it. We'll do another game next week. Something from the Vancouver series. I got a review. See what's out there. By the way, NBC Sports Chicago all week is showing like all the wins from the 2010 Cup run. So check that out. 
I got to go back and look. What is the best Vancouver game to review? If you guys have suggestions, hit me up, LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com, and we will evaluate your input. Always welcome your input on the show. But that's going to be really cool. Here's the email. I just pulled it up. So starting tomorrow, Nashville game four, 7 p.m. on NBC Sports Chicago. Saturday, they'll show Nashville game five again. Then it's Tuesday, Nashville game six. Then the series against Vancouver starts on Thursday. So it'll be, it's every other day. It'll be actually be Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Tuesday will be those Vancouver games. So check those out. Tune into those, and we will break them down next week on Lockdown Blackhawks. But I'm back tomorrow, and I'm back Friday. So if you've got questions, you got comments, get them in. I need the content. LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. Voicemail 708-653-0572. Now that you've listened to this Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, tell your smart speaker to listen to the latest episode of Locked on NHL. My name's Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Be smart. Stay home. And we'll talk to you next time on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.